0: Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 is what we will be considering this morning by God's grace. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you now and ask for your help and that you, Lord, would help us to take heed to the command for the church of Smyrna that is a command for the church of all time that we would not fear any tribulation or any persecution that may come our way. Help us also to be faithful unto death. I decrease that you may increase. Lord, I become less that you can become more. Be glorified. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, minds that understand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, we come now to the second of the seven churches, and I do greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We come to the second of the seven churches that the Lord Jesus Christ addresses. It is the church of Smyrna. Uh, You will recall that there are seven churches, and within each address is a message, Uh, not only to to the church of Smyrna, but to the church... Catholic That is universal. And it is for the church of all times. The first church addressed, you remember, was Ephesus. Now, that church was rich with apostolic heritage. Well trained in sound doctrine. But they had left their first love. Particularly, the church had left their love and zeal for evangelism they had become cynical because of the seaport location. Ephesus was a hotbed for false religions, for blasphemous beliefs about God from all over the world. The church had gone from a, a loving offense in witnessing for Christ to an unloving defense for Christ. They had truly loved Christ, but their love for people and their zeal for evangelism, it had gone greatly dim. Christ called the church there in Ephesus to repent and to return to the love that they had left. And he promised a reward for those who obeyed, for those who heard what the Spirit says. And now the Lord addresses the church located in Smyrna. Richard Phillips comments if Ephesus was the chief of Roman Asia, then Smyrna was a shining jewel nestled on the Aegean coast, a city of over 200,000 residents. Smyrna possessed a fine harbor and a prominent hill known as the crown of Smyrna that was surrounded by elegant estates. Richard Phillips says. Smyrna was a, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, it was a well-to-do city. It was a rich city. And this had much to do with their undying allegiance to the Roman Empire. The historic Roman statesman, scholar, and philosopher Marcus Cicero located or lauded Smyrna as one of our most faithful and our most ancient allies. During the time that Christ addresses addressed the Smyrnians, the city had been one of Rome's most dedicated and loyal vassals for over 300 years. Now, there's going to be a point to all of this. Uh, during one war, it was said that the Smyrnians stripped off their own clothes in order to provide for the Roman soldiers who were suffering. The city competed and won the honor of erecting a temple to the Roman emperor Tiberius. This city was dedicated to Rome and nestled within that well-to-do city. That city that was completely devoted to Rome. That city who was devoted to whoever sat on Caesar's throne. In that city, there was a church Known and loved by Christ. Smyrna is one of two, what do they call, as they call are called blameless churches. Blameless because they do not receive a rebuke from the Lord or or even a call to repent from the Lord. Rather, they receive encouragement from the Lord. Not, Not a perfect church, of course, but the main reason why Christ addresses this church is for them, encouraging them to remain faithful. Even in the midst of tribulation, by trusting in the one who is sovereign over all things. As you know, these churches are meant to represent the church of Christ for all times. So the matters that are being presented here in Smyrna are matters that you and I will also encounter as we wait for the blessed return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church of Ephesus, they loved Christ. They loved His word. They were not afraid to defend orthodoxy. You remember last Lord's Day, we talked about them sharpening their sword in, in preparation to defend the faith. They were not afraid. But their love for the unbeliever had waned. They had no fear of testimony on behalf of Christ. They just did not do so with love in their witness. That was their issue. The church of Smyrna, on the other hand, loved Christ also. But unlike Smyrna, or unlike Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, they did fear witnessing. They loved Christ. They were not unwilling to witness, but they were just fearful of witnessing. Why? Well, because Smyrna was dedicated to Rome. And the consequences of spreading this so-called new religion, the consequences become, became increasingly greater and grimmer As the person who sat on the throne of Rome was filled with more and more hatred for Christians. So their problem, it wasn't uh, love for Christ or love for witnessing. It was fear. Whereas Ephesus had no fear, Smyrna had a whole bunch of fear. This morning we're going to find out why. With God's help, we will consider two points. If you want a title for the sermon, Faithfulness in the Face of Fear. Faithfulness in the face of fear. Number one, tribulation. These two points will be long points. Tribulation. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. After Christ presents himself as to the church as the first and the last, the one who was dead and has come to life, Christ acknowledges his knowledge of the tribulation that the church of Smyrna was experiencing. It is the same kind of tribulation that John, our brother, says he joins them, the churches, and also us in. John associates himself with their tribulation, but, but more than that, Christ knows Christ who stands among the seven golden lampstands knows their tribulation and knows our tribulation. Brothers and sisters, those who are suffering tribulation, those who are being afflicted today, if you are suffering and if you are being afflicted, is it not enough to know this, that Christ knows? If you are suffering If you are experiencing tribulation, is it not enough to know that Christ knows? Is it not enough to know that he is not blind to your affliction? Is it not enough to know that he acknowledges that he knows? Christ stands in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Christ stands among his people. But he doesn't just stand among us. Christ stands with us. He stands with us in trial. He stands with us in tribulation. We are not left alone. What exactly was the tribulation of the church? The church of Smyrna was being oppressed because of their faith and faithful witness to Christ. But but it was seen in this way. It was not necessarily that they were going out into Smyrna and, and sharing the gospel. It was more so that they were They were being insulated because of fear. Let's explain. Because of the city of Smyrna's love and allegiance to Rome, Christians found themselves being tested as to where their allegiance lied. The Lord specifies what kind of tribulation they were experiencing. He says, I know your tribulation and then says, your poverty. Your poverty. Remember that they are living in an affluent city. Smyrna was rich. The imperial Roman cult permeated, though, virtually every aspect of the city, even village life in Asia Minor, became infected by the Roman Empire. So much so that citizens could not advance socially or economically to a greater standing if they did not participate in some degree, with the Roman cult. Participation, what does that mean? Roman cult, what does that mean? It means that they needed to participate in worshipping the pagan false gods of Rome. This would include, involve, offering sacrifices, bringing meat, meals, or wine, and offering them to false gods. Uh, we'll see later that, that even offering a pinch of incense to... Caesar and saying Caesar is Lord was a part of the Roman Empire's regulations for its citizens and for all of those whom Rome owned. If if you're going to be a part of this empire without being persecuted, without having consequences, you must offer worship to Caesar and to Caesar's gods. Where is your allegiance? Whether you were upper class or whether you were lower class, you were required by law and it would become increasingly uh, legal to offer a sacrifice to the emperor, especially on various uh, occasions. It was almost impossible to share in public city life without taking part in the imperial cult of Rome. If you were in Asia Minor, most likely you had a part in some kind of trade. You were a... uh, a a metalsmith or you were a carpenter or you you did something in some kind of trade in order to be a to uh, have a trade you, you needed to be a part of a trade union you could not have a trade without being a part of a trade union or a trade guild and part of being a part of that union paying your dues to the union was that you needed to attend an annual meal and in this meal you were required to devote a meal of worship to the local patron God who protected your trade and prospered you. The pagans believed that the gods were in charge of their prosperity. And so they would offer sacrifices to the gods so that their businesses would thrive. And if you would not offer or take part in these meals and these offerings, then you would be excluded from the union and being excluded from the union met, you could no longer provide for yourself or your family. Christians living in Smyrna refused to take part in such paganism. As a result, they were excluded and barred from practicing their trade and their business. Pressure on Christians to conform to such paganism, it increased at the rise of Domitian. Domitian is the the one... Uh, The the Roman emperor, who we believe was ruling during the time that Revelation was written. Their refusal to take part in these pagan rituals meant that they were out of work and therefore poor. In a city of rich people, in a city of affluence, they were not even able. This word poverty, it, 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 it denotes not being able to even provide for your most basic needs bread and water because they were unwilling to join the pagans in false worship. Successful participation in social and economic life would have been virtually impossible for those who were not willing to worship Caesar or Caesar's gods. Meaning if you didn't cooperate, you would be impoverished. Not able to provide for your most basic needs. Our brothers and sisters were living at a... Our brothers and sisters were living at a point when they could not even provide for their most basic needs because they were unwilling to compromise. We don't know what that's like. Some of us will miss a Lord's Day worship. I've got to work. These had no option well they had an option worship Caesar and his gods or worship Christ they were willing to embrace poverty if it means that I've got to go poor then I will embrace poverty if it means that I don't eat today so that I will worship Christ rather than the false gods then I don't eat today Our brothers and sisters, if it means I don't eat today, then I don't eat today. I would rather not eat than bow my knee to Caesar and his gods. Imagine not being able to work. We went through, through kind of a moment like that, didn't we, over the past year, where, where things were just shut down. The, the economy is going bad. But it was not because of worship. Imagine not being able to work, not being able to buy or sell unless you take the mark of the beast. Unless you, you bow your knee to false gods. We'll see how the mark of the beast is not physical, it's spiritual. The COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Someone said yay. Our brothers and sisters, suffered this kind of tribulation. Socially, you would be known and marked out as those in the eyes of the pagans who are worshipping a false god, who are fools for worshipping a a dead man who called himself the Messiah. Socially, you would be seen as that. Uh, But but more than that, G.K. Beal notes, I I mentioned G.K. Beal last week and and that we had had a conversation. I don't know the man. I, I should make that clear. I don't know him. He don't know me. I happened to sit with him one time. There's no, we don't know each other like that. Just wanted to make that clear. G.K. Bill notes, those refusing to participate were seen as, listen to this, politically disloyal. Well, why does that matter? Because Smyrnians loved everything Roman. And here's what Rome is requiring. And if you don't obey it, you're, you're disloyal to the empire. Not more than that, and unpatriotic. We are dedicated to Rome, and if you don't do this, not only are you disloyal to the empire, you're an enemy of the empire. And they would be arrested and punished according to Roman law, G.K. Bill says. In some towns, and this would increase later as persecution continued, and some towns, you had to carry a certificate that verified that you had offered such an offering And if you didn't, you could be fined, thrown into jail, and persecuted even further. It was communism before communism. But founded on worship. Who will you worship? The gods of Babylon? Or will you worship the one true and living God, showing that you are citizens of his kingdom and no other kingdom exists? That's what we do when we do not bow our knee to the false kingdoms and false gods of this world we say to them you are not king we say to them and this is not the true kingdom there is a greater kingdom when we say I won't bow my knee to your kingdom because there's a greater kingdom that I bow my knee to we have not yet reached that point here in this country but I will say this the more that we give into our freedoms being taken away, the more that we acquiesce to, yes, I will do whatever this government says I will, they want me to do, then it won't be long before what I'm doing this morning and what I will say from this book and what every faithful preacher will say from this book will be outlawed and no longer acceptable. Christ says in Revelation 29, I know your tribulation and poverty. The Christians in Smyrna were willing to give up their jobs. They were willing to give up their social status for the sake of suffering with Christ. Saints, who of you would put the affairs of the world before the affairs of Christ? Who of you would order your career your temporary jobs before the worship of Christ? Who of you would position your worldly education over your spiritual education? Who among you would pursue the pleasures of worldly riches over the riches that are found in Christ? The faithful and true would respond None of us. Our allegiance is to Christ alone. The wolves in sheep clothing, they might give it a second thought. The Judases, they reason how there might be a scenario where they would choose 30 pieces of silver over Christ. But not the faithful and true. Christians in Smyrna and all true disciples... It, they know that it is their privilege to even be known by Christ. To be seen by Christ. And though in the eyes of the world we are poor. In the eyes of Christ we are rich. You may look around you. And, and, and it looks like everyone is prospering. But not us. Why, why not us? They belong to a different kingdom. Church of Smyrna was being pressed on all sides. Not only were they suffering economic and social tribulation, but to make matters worse, they were suffering persecution, listen to this, from so-called Jews that slandered Christians. Listen to what how the Lord frames this. I know your tribulation, verse 9, and your poverty, but you are rich. And then listen to this. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Lord sees the tribulation and he says it's coming from people who claim to be Jews. What an interesting phrase, but they're not. The the word Jew would be uh, synonymous with people of God. They claim to be people of God, but they're not. It's interesting that the Lord claims he's no association with these people. They call themselves the people of God. But they have no fellowship with him who was the first and the last. Christ would say of them in John six forty six or eight forty four, 44, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. The glorified Lord of glory calls their deeds, the deeds of the, of, of the false Jews. He calls it blasphemous. They, these false Jews, they are blaspheming because true Jews, true people of God would never speak in such a way. No doubt uh, they were slandering the church. This is what they were doing. They were claiming the church is a cult. That they were, listen to this, that they were cannibals. How would they say they're cannibals? What do we partake of every Lord's Day evening? Those people are cannibals. They also slandered them by saying, and they like the joy of drowning people. Where did that come from? <laughs> We're all laughing because we know exactly, what are you talking about, right? And they worship, the Christians, a rebel against Rome, who was condemned like the worst of criminals on a Roman tree. This is what they said of us and our brothers. The slander of the church was really, Christ calls it, blasphemy against God. They claim that Christ was not Messiah, not the Son of God, not been raised, and that Christ will not return as the Christians say he would. They were in concert with the children of Satan. Satan. In Acts, cried out with loud voices, stopped their ears at the hearing of the gospel by Stephen. They were the brood of vipers that stoned Stephen to death. Though they be physically the children of Abraham, bearing on their bodies the mark of Abraham's faith, they did not have Abraham's faith, and they were not children of Abraham. They were children of the devil. Paul says, "He who is a Jew is he who is a Jew is one inwardly." And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit. Not everyone who calls himself a Jew is a Jew, Paul would say. Being of these false Jews, or being, because of these false Jews, being in bed with Rome. They they had an interesting unity, Rome and and the Jews. They had this, this kind of compromise that they had with one another. They were in bed with the harlot. They were quick to spread the slander to the Roman authorities at every chance they got. It was their desire, because Satan is their father, to eradicate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that there was something suspicious that was going on with the Christians, the Jews were quick to report it to the authorities in order to get Christians... Find or imprisoned. Brothers and sisters. Need I remind you of what you should already know. Satan wants to kill. Steal. And destroy you. He roams around like a roaring lion. Uh, seeking whom he may devour. We have a promise from Christ, don't we? That the gates of hell shall never overcome her. But this does not mean that tribulation disappears. The gates of hell will not overcome. Amen. But it doesn't mean that tribulation is going to get any better. And the Lord makes this abundantly clear to the church. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Do not fear. Okay, good. I have nothing to worry about. What you are about to suffer. What? Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Huh? And you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. How many? We have a promise that the gates of hell shall not overcome. Therefore, do not fear. Because things are about to get worse. Doesn't always get better, does it? Some of us, when we come to church, we hear the word of God and we are encouraged and then we leave and we are automatically hit with things that we were expecting. When we would hope that when we leave church we get to float on clouds the rest of the day. Sometimes it gets worse. The church of Christ Or the words of Christ to the Smyrnians are reminiscent of Christ's words to Peter. You remember. Lord, I will go to death even if everyone leaves you. I will never leave you. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded. Other versions say Satan has requested. Other versions say Satan has asked. Has asked to sift you like wheat. To violently shake you. The Lord's promise to, to Peter is, and when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. The same way that Simon Peter was warned that greater tribulation was yet in the future, so the church of Smyrna was also warned greater persecution is in the future, which means for the Christian that, that there may be peaceful times now, but it could very well be that there are greater times of tribulation in the future. Uh, we may be experiencing persecution right now in certain ways. And it could intensify. But but there is a, a circular motion or, or a secular motion throughout all of church history. The church remains faithful. And in some portions of the world there is great tribulation, and in other portions there is peace. In some portions there is peace, and in some tribulation in some areas there is tribulation. It's like that throughout all of church history. The devil filled those who would be used by him to bring slander to the Roman government or to the church to the Roman government in order to put Christians in jail. They were not only suffering poverty, opposition, but they would soon be thrown into jail because of their unwillingness to compromise. Great fear, as you can imagine, started to overwhelm the church. They were kind of holding themselves in, protecting themselves from being thrown into prison, from from experiencing greater tribulation. And and the Lord says, and it's going to get worse. Some of you will actually be thrown into jail. Which is why the Lord says, be faithful even unto death because some of them would not get out of jail to be set free physically. But some of them would be taken out of jail to be put to death physically. They were not only barred from providing for the most basic need, but because of their unwillingness to compromise, they were being marked as unpatriotic and being imprisoned because of it. Brothers and sisters, there may be a time again when we may experience in that secular motion this kind of tribulation. Remember this, Christ is already victorious and so are we in Him. What will you do? Resolve that you will not fear. You know, the Lord gives a duration of how long And it's not meant to be literal. It's not meant to be literal 10 days. Instead, it's meant to be an illusion. Well, what is Revelation most often referring back to? The book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity, into Babylon. And you will remember the first chapter of Daniel 1, when Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah resolved... That they would not eat food from the king's table. They would not eat the choice food of the king. Rather, they resolved that they would not compromise their dietary laws. And so they ate only fruits and vegetables. And Daniel issued a challenge to the authorities of Rome, of, of Babylon, didn't he? And the, the, the challenge was this. We will not compromise, but we'll take it to the test. Since you're trying to impose that we eat this food, we'll eat this food of ours, fruits and vegetables, for Ten days. And if after ten days we don't look any healthier, then you can put us to death, essentially is what it is. Ten days passed, and those Hebrew men, young boys at the time, probably young men at the time, looked more healthy than those who had compromised and eaten the king's food. The Lord says, you will suffer persecution for ten days. It was essentially meant to point to a short duration, not literally 10 days, but a short duration of time. You will experience tribulation. And even though it seems like you will starve to death, you will not starve and you will not be destroyed. Be faithful unto death, he says in verse 10. Again, this implied capital punishment. There would be some who would actually suffer unto death. Sometimes tribulation, it gets worse before it gets any better. L- listen to these. Daniel and his three friends became the model of those who would rather be persecuted for their faith than worship false idols. The church of Smyrna was suffering tribulation economically, socially, politically, The walls are closing in on them. They are hard pressed all around. And just when they believed that they could not take it anymore, the risen and ascended Lord sends them a message of perseverance. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. The question as we lead into our second and final point is this, on what basis Could they obey all of the commands from the Lord? Do not fear. Be faithful. How? Second point, because Christ is Lord over tribulation. Because Christ is Lord over tribulation. The Lord Jesus has told the church that He knows their tribulation. He has commanded them not to fear in spite of the fact that tribulation would get worse. On what basis could they obey this command? It's found in verse 8. Oh, we didn't skip that verse. The angel of the church of Smyrna write, the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, verse 9, I know. Verse 10, do not fear. Verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Verse 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And, and all of these... uh Commands that come after they are all upheld by the fact that Christ is the first and the last. The basis for why they should not fear is because Christ is the first and the last. You remember that John received the vision of the glorified Lord of glory and, and he falls on his face like a dead man. And the response of Christ, the Lord is this, places his right hand on me and says, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Christ being the first and the last is the beginning and the end of the basis of why we should never fear. Oftentimes when these opposites are are explained it's meant to to communicate that that God is sovereign over everything in between. He's the first and the last and he is sovereign over everything in between. You remember that David said if I ascend to heaven you're there if I if I ascend to the depths of sheol you are there. What is he saying? It's like, everywhere I go, you're right there. And then, oh, you got there before me. He's saying, you're everywhere. Everywhere in between. The rule of Christ over all of history is the basis, brothers and sisters, of why you and I and every other believer should never fear whatever befalls us. Christ is sovereign. He's ruling over it all. When the church... Wherever we are is being threatened. When we possibly lose our lives, the church could rest in the eternal truth that Christ is the first and the last. And He emboldens us therefore when, when He commands us, do not fear, be faithful unto death. For this is all a part of the sovereign plan of the one who orders our days. There are 12 missionaries right now. I just found out this morning in Haiti, who are being held ransom by people filled with the devil for a 17 million dollar ransom and we will let these Christians go. Christ's word to them is do not fear. Be faithful even unto death. I am the first and the last. There is held for you a crown of life. Do not fear. What we what would we do? There's a baby with them, I hear. There's even an infant with them. What would we do? We would say to those terrorists, to those men filled with the devil, "You have no power over me except that which is given to you by the Lord. Be faithful even unto death." We should obey these commands because Christ. By virtue of his life, his, de- his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his, his glorified seat on the throne. That's why we have no fear. Christ declares he was dead and now is alive. Christ has suffered the worst tribulation that the world could ever inflict. He has taken our place. What can the world do to us? Christ has already endured the worst. He's prevailed over death. Death in the grave in his impeccable life, in his sacrificial death, in his victoriously rising from the dead, and he will bring, he will bring, he will bring many sons to glory. Do not fear. Church of yesterday, the church of today, the church of tomorrow should the Lord tarry. Do not fear. In Christ, the grave is the gateway into eternal glory. Paul calls what Christians face in that in that capacity light, momentary afflictions that are preparing an eternal weight of glory be beyond all comparison. The church need not fear. Christ sovereign over all. Know that they were suffering. Know that they were experiencing tribulation. His encouragement is simply this: Here's some of the encouragements, and it's simple. I know your poverty. Here's the encouragement. Ready? Ready for it? I know your poverty. You're not poor. I know the poverty that you're experiencing, but you're not poor. You have more wealth than you realize. Christ's encouragement to them is this. You're not poor. You're rich. You're rich. Your bank account doesn't say it. Something greater does. The word of God says you are rich. But it looks like everyone else around me is rich. No, they are poor. You are rich. The apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that your poverty... By his poverty, you might become rich. You're rich. and This flies in the face of the prosperity gospel. That is no gospel. That espouses that you must be earthly rich in order to be blessed by Christ. Well, What do they say to the church of Smyrna? Here are these faithful Christians suffering poverty because of their faithfulness to Christ. And, and the encouragement is not, you're going to be rich. That once you pass this, you're going to have mansions and cars or Clydesdales, whatever it was during that time. the encouragement is you are rich in Christ. Because you are unwilling to compromise your faith in Him alone. Living in affluent Smyrna. attempted, Attempted to view themselves as being impoverished. And then Christ comes and corrects their eyes so that they might see the temporal value of silver and gold in light of the eternal value of the precious blood of Christ. The things, the money that we acquire, it comes and goes, doesn't it? We get these these government checks and we go, whoo, we're rich, and then it's gone. (laughs) It's gone. It's just as quickly as we got it, it's gone. It's temporal. It does not last. We spend so much time pursuing it, all the work that we do to get it, and then it's gone. Why would we put so much effort into something that we are not going to be able to sustain? What do you have? Ephesians 1 tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You are not poor in Christ You are riches. You are rich. And your riches are being stored up where moth and dust do not corrupt. Your riches are immeasurable. They are innumerable. They will never perish like the riches of this world. You are rich in Christ. Do not fear poverty. Christ was not unaware, but He was aware. And He was aware that they were hurting And He gives them peace, not like the world gives, but His peace He gives. He encourages them to faithfulness. Going back to Daniel. Daniel was falsely accused by the Jews that he would not bow down and worship the true God, the idols of His day. What did the authorities do? They threw him into a den of lions so that he would be devoured. But God was faithful to Daniel. He shuts the mouths of the lions. And so while Nebuchadnezzar tossed and turned in his sleep, Daniel is sleeping with lions. Because God is faithful. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah would not bow down to the idols of their day. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. And it was there in the fire, in the midst of the flames, that God shows Himself to be faithful to walk with those who are even suffering in flames. It was there from the mouths of pagans. There were not three in the fire, but they were four. And from the mouths of pagans, they declared he looked like the Son of God. As the church received this letter, there was a man who would have been in his 30s when this revelation was delivered to Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. He may have been an elder in the church of Smyrna. But if he was not, then he soon would be an elder in the church of Smyrna. He also may have been the one that read this letter of revelation aloud to the church. Tradition tells us that he was not only known by John, but he was a disciple of John. He had been faithful in his witness there in Smyrna and was a faithful pastor, a godly, godly man during his time of service, during the time that this was written. Through the years, the persecution of the church intensified. The demand for worship of the emperor and their gods increased and carried with it stricter requirement and greater penalties for those who refused to obey. Polycarp, because of his presence and because of his influence, was constantly being pressured to bow down and offer worship to the emperor, but he continually refused. Finally, they had enough of Polycarp. They sent men to arrest him. And even though it was reported that he could have escaped, he chose not to. He trusted God's will. His capturers, the authorities came. They were young men. They were strong men. They they, they were men with weapons. They burst through Polycarp's place of residence. Only to find an 86-year-old man lying on his bed. Knowing they were coming and waiting for them. The testimony is they were amazed at his steadfastness. He even invited them into his home after they came in and served them food and drink. Sit down, eat. The only request he had is this. While you eat and while you drink, I would like to pray. Please give me one hour. They allowed him. He didn't pray for one hour, he prayed for two they were astounded at the halt, the godliness of this man, and they even regretted that they had to come to arrest him. He was brought to an arena filled with Roman pagans, all who wanted to witness this man finally denounce Christ. They demanded that he denounce Christ and deny see, and worship Caesar. The report goes. The proconsul asked him whether or not he was Polycarp. And he says, why do you ask me what you already know? On hearing that he was, they tried to persuade him, saying, apostatize your faith. Have respect for your age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists. They believed Christians were atheists. Because we didn't believe in the gods, we believed in one. Polycarp's response this 86 year old man, if you can imagine, who's being commanded to repent, to worship Christ, denounce, or worship Caesar, denounce Christ, who's commanded to say, down with the atheists, looks at all of the, these men and women in, in this pagan arena, and he begins to point to them, and he says, down with the atheists. The proconsul, Knew what he was doing. He said, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp responded, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king? The proconsul said, I have wild animals. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp responded, bring them. Call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be charged or changed from evil to righteousness. Take this body. The proconsul responded, if you despise animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Bring on what you will. Our brother Polycarp was burned at the stake that day. Let me encourage some reading for you. The account of his prayer before the fires. His unwillingness to even be bound. They came to to bind him. He says, I don't need that. I'll endure the flames. He said, Christ will give me the strength to endure the flames. The miraculous way in which his body was consumed. I leave that for you to discover this afternoon, I hope. It's fascinating. May we all have the same kind of boldness in the face of imminent danger. Daniel was saved from the lion's den. Stephen was not saved from the brood of vipers. Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra were saved from the fiery furnace. Polycarp was not saved from being burnt to state. The Lord's will be done. Will these 12 missionaries be released without being killed? The Lord's will be done. We are praying for release. But more than that, we are praying that the Lord's will be done. What all these men have in common. Faithful men, and let me also encourage you ladies, and faithful women, and there are many. Is that God knew them. They obeyed the command of our Lord, be faithful unto death. And because of their unwillingness to reproach Christ, they have received the promised crown of eternal life. And though they may may have suffered in the first death, Christ promises that they will not be hurt in the second death. It's toward the end of the the verse there. The second death is the eternal condemnation of hell that awaits the final believer, or the awaits the unbeliever in final judgment. The scriptures, they speak of two deaths. There is the, the temporal death, which is the death that you would all, all of us will experience, and then there is the eternal death. That's the final judgment. There are two resurrections, did you know that? For the believer, there are two resurrections. There is the resurrection of your soul, when you are brought from death to life, from sin to righteousness. You are resurrected. And there will be a final resurrection of soul and body, where you will live and reign with Christ forever. The unbeliever, they get one resurrection. You get two. The unbeliever gets resurrected to eternal punishment, to experience the second death. The believer resurrected to enjoy eternal life. One theologian says, the saints may suffer physical death at the hand of persecution, but they will never be separated from God. By contrast, unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire and suffer eternal death. Brothers and sisters, the church of Smyrna, and the church for all time, may be tempted to fear. Dear church, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Be faithful unto death and you will receive the crown of life. Christ is Lord over tribulation. He's promised that it will only last for a time, but that he will be with us present in the flames. Real quick, notice the the purpose of the tribulation. You will be tested. Christ permits tribulation. And in tribulation, our faith is being proven as genuine. It's being fortified. And both of these are accomplished through fire. First Peter 1, six: These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. First Peter 1.6 Romans 5.3 We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Donald Barnhouse Barnhouse, how wonderful and I said this to my wife recently. Let me slow down as I say these final words. How wonderful that when our tears, or when we are blinded by our tears, we can nevertheless see God. In fact, our tears become crystal lenses through which He is magnified. And in the midst of suffering, we realize the greatness of His power and the tenderness of His love. Life, life, eternal life is what we are looking forward to and what is promised as to be ours. When we look to the first and the last, when we do not fear the threats of the world, when we are faithful to Christ even unto death, the reward is life. Life, as Christians said, eternal life. In the same way, Christ receives victory through His death. We receive victory when we are faithful even unto death. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Be faithful, brothers and sisters. Do not fear. Let's pray.